5. Before we get there, going there, just some things I want to celebrate here. Is, um, is Brandon here today? Brandon Hernandez? He, he's not here. Well, I, I'll just go ahead and celebrate with him. Uh, he plays for Lubbock High football. They won the other night, first time in how many years? Two years. So when I saw that, man, I was shouting for him. And so, you know, it may be small to you, but you get your head knocked off every Friday night, it's a big deal. So bless him. That's a great deal. And so all of you who are excelling in areas of your life, bless him to you also. Going to Ephesians 5. Now, if you hadn't been here, we've been talking about family ties, about how I believe God's wanting to restructure our, our homes, our marriages, and even more so our society. And what I mean by that is any time in our lives that we don't honor what God says to honor, we, we get out of line, we get out of the structure that God talks about. But when we honor what God says to honor, I'll tell you, there's always blessing with it. And so we're talking about how you and me can get our lives, our homes, our marriages back into a place of honor. If it's been chaotic in your life, just begin to look at things and say, have I honored what God says to honor? Now we're going to be on this this week and then a couple more weeks. Next week we're going to get on the role of the children. And so be sure and be there for that. But today we're going to talk about more the role of the husband or the blessings of a husband. What happens when you honor a husband? Now, here's a thought for you. The very first miracle that Jesus ever did was at a wedding, a wedding celebration. And it was a transformation that Jesus took water and turned it to wine. Now that had real significance to it, guys, because water represents survival. How many of you have ever noticed without water, you're going to die? And so water represents survival, but the wine represents a joy. The wine represents a celebration. Now I can tell you this right now, in your own marriage, you can live by survival, you can survive. Or you can live by celebration. And so it becomes a choice in my life. Now, I believe this is going to pertain to every one of us in here. If you're married, if you desire to be married, if you're married and wish you weren't married, this will help you today. I promise you, okay? Now, if you were here last week, remember we talked about the three significance in a woman's life. Uh, third, they need to be, oh my gosh, I'm going to give me a Number one is significant, uh, security. Two, leadership. And three, they need conversation. We're not going to talk about that. Those are a little different from men today. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another. Now, there's a, a great start right there. Submitting to one another. Now, I'm charged right here to live a life of submission to other people. That word there, submission, means to be reverent. To be reverent to other people. What would happen in our society, even within the church, if we started being submissive to one another? To be honoring just to one another. To begin to look at other people like God looked at them. I mean, just to value people and think, God created him. God created her. This is where I believe we're, we're supposed to get. And look how he tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us to do this. In the fear of God. In the fear of God. So when I begin to honor other people and there's a godly fear on me, it's going to change the way I view them because I understand God created them. God made them exactly how they're... How to celebrate that? 
We ought to learn to celebrate people. Now, it shifts gears a little bit in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, that word submit there means to respect, to regard, and to care for. And so when you take the word submission, the word sub itself means to come under. Kind of like the word submarine, it means to go under. The word sub means to come under. The word mission is life's journey. So right here, it's telling you, ladies, that if you will come under the mission that Father God has called your husband to be or to do, you'll be blessed. It'll be a blessing. Now, I found this in life. You can, you can submit and be obedient, but just because you're obedient doesn't mean it's the will of God. And what I mean by that is a, a true submission is a thing of my heart. I can obey but not have a willing heart. I can do it grudgingly. Now, I think what happens to us at times as, as human beings, we hate the word submission. Our society hates that word. And so to take that word to a different area, what would happen if we put in the word spend? Instead of submit, I'm going to spend my life on other people. I'm going to spend my life on my wife. I'm going to spend my life on my husband. And right here in, in verse 22, he tells us how. As to the Lord, I must begin to do this as to the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, a doormat mentality. This is not what it's talking about at all here. This is godly order. When we begin to honor what God says to honor, I'm going to tell you there's blessings upon it. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I believe this is the attitude he wants us to have, especially ladies when we begin to get this. Now, this is not talking about a dictatorship, guys. This is talking about kingdom order. And when I get into kingdom order, there's a blessing on it. This is how God set it up. Many of you are going to watch football today. You're going to find out that not one game will you watch will there be two head coaches. Not going to happen. There's going to be a head coach and there's going to be assistant coach. And it's just different in function, but they're dependent on each other. How many of you know in the United States you're not going to have two presidents? You're going to have a president and a vice president. You're not going to have two CEOs. When you go to school tomorrow, there's not going to be two principals. And so what he's talking about here is just kingdom order. And it's very, very important that we begin to understand this. That when I get into this flow, this order that God's talked to me about, there's blessings. If not, it's going to be chaotic. Now look with me in verse 32 of that chapter. Talking about marriage, he says, this is a great mystery. And if you've been married very long at all, you'll realize marriage is a great mystery. Now, when you talk about a mystery, what's a mystery supposed to happen? It's supposed to be solved. So he says right here, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, verse 33, this is the blueprint for me and you right here. This is the structure, the summary for both of us. Nevertheless, 
Let each one of you in particular, husbands, love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this is our part, and this is our role. Now, I like to think marriage as, as two bookends. This bookend as the husband. If he'll love his wife and cleave to her, and if the wife will respect and honor her husband, guess what begins to happen? There's blessing. I mean huge and blessing. This is the structure I believe God wants to bring back to us. Now, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Woo, we got to come back under the things of God. I got to get back in there. Seek God and say, okay, God, this is what you designed. This was your setup. And when I fall back into order that, God will bless me. Now, this is the first need of a man, of a husband. I want you to see this biblically. This will be number three in order. But the first one we're going to give you today. Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, the message there says a companion. The first or the third need in order is companionship. That God knew mankind, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but God knew man needed a playmate. He needed someone to play with. And so evidently it wasn't being met. Look at verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So what God does, he forms the woman, and this was to complement men. This was where the cleaving, that man was to cleave to his wife, and they should become one. Now it's very apparent here, at one time in Adam's life, the only person on earth, human being, was him, and he had all these animals. Evidently, the animals weren't needing what was lacking in his life. They weren't meeting that need. The monkeys, the donkeys, the dogs. And so it wasn't just that he needed something. He needed someone. And so what God does is he creates the woman. And he created the woman here to compliment him. Now, just about a year or so ago, I, I was around a man who's a real godly man. He's uh, probably 77, 78 right now. But his wife had died a few years before. And he began to share with me and my brother one day with, I mean, just these crocodile tears running down his face. He said, I desire to be married. I desire, and I looked, and he's in his 75-ish right then. And I could tell it was a passion. It was still a desire of his. And so I said, Johnny, tell me, why do you want to be married? And he said, companionship. He said, I long to sit out on my balcony, my porch in the morning, and drink coffee with her. I long for this and I long for that with her. Someone to cleave to. And you know, I've, I find myself now in almost my 32nd year of marriage that when Shelly's gone for a day or two or three days, I'm okay. But if it goes much more than that, I'm in bad shape. 
I don't do real well without her. And part of that is, is the way she completes me. She compliments me. This is the first need of man. Now, I will say this, ladies, about man, we love to have fun. Men love, we never outgrow loving to have fun. How do you know that? I'm a man. I love to have fun to this day. And the things I found out is that, that men, if we described them, were really boys in men's suits. We still love to, to get dirty. I'm going to tell you right now, if I said this afternoon at 1 o'clock, men, we're going to come out of here and we're going to shoot each other with BB guns. We'd have hundreds of men. We're going to have a mud fight. We're going to have a tug. I mean, we love to get muddy still to this day. We love to play. It's how we're created. I still love to play. Statistically, if you were asked six and seven-year-old boys, What's their funnest time at school? You know what the number one answer was? Recess. Recess. You know why? We love to have fun. Shelley would probably say to this day, his favorite part of life is recess. You know what the second area was? Lunch. <laughs> the quickest way to a man's heart is through a stomach. <laughs> so I look at that and I think, yes, this is true. That this is what God designed us to do. And so, ladies, part of your job is to say, boys, have fun. Have fun in life. And if you've ever been around me very long, I'm going to have fun, guys. Sometimes you may not want your teenage boys being around me because we're going to have fun. We may break some rules, but we're going to have fun. And many of you who have been around me, you're going, he, he likes to have fun. He lives on the edge. If you've ever driven with me in war edge, you know he likes to have fun. Only you ones who've been there with me know that. Go with me, the Old, uh, New Testament, back to James chapter number 1. James chapter 1, right after uh, Hebrews, way back there in the New Testament. And this is the number 2 area. And as you're turning there, listen guys, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. It's sex. Ooh, we got quiet in this church. Now I realize there's a lot of different ages in here, and I'm going to use some discretion in here. But I said this in the first service. God created sex, men and women. Sex is not dirty. The word sex is not a dirty word. And so in our churches, it's almost become politically incorrect to talk about sex when it should be politically correct. This is where it should be taught. Because if it's not being taught here, you're hearing stuff on the movies from Hollywood, MTV, and those late-night talk show cuckoos like John Stewart, Bill Maher. Those guys, man, they don't have any, any clue about what God set up. And so really, guys, we ought to celebrate this when this is taught within the church. And I love our children's ministers, Keith and Jamie. They take time to teach our children biblically on this. So this shouldn't freak us out. Actually, we ought to celebrate this. Now, what we've got to understand as believers, God created sex in the confines of marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, The marriage bed is undefiled. The marriage bed. And so he's telling us that sexual intimacy in the marriage bed, God created it. This is a valid need of men. But men, listen, if you're getting it any other way, 
than the confines of the marriage bed, it's invalid. And when you compromise the things of God, you better get ready because they're not blessed. You can do it, but it won't be blessed. Thank you for those holy amens. James 1, verse 12. Look at this, what it says. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It doesn't say he caves into temptation. It says he endures it. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed or trapped. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death now you can go back and read in Proverbs 7 specifically probably verses 15 through 23 and it talks about a man who compromised in this area and he got out of order the structure that God put in and it says specifically Proverbs 7 23 it cost this man his life now when you begin to compromise the things of God you're going to have symptoms of death upon the way and so I want every one of us in here to understand this is godly. Now listen, ladies, just as one of your great needs is communication, sex is a great need for man. Number two. It's number two on a man's list. The first one was companionship. The sec or the third one was companionship. The second one was sex. I mean, I hate to break your heart on this, but sex was number two for you. You know where it ranks for women? Number 13. You know what number 12 was? Gardening. A little enlightening there, huh, boys? But it's still a need of a man, okay? It's still a need. Just throwing some facts out there for you today. Get you in the right line here, all right? Go with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 6. And what happens to each one of us, guys, is we hear things through our own needs. We hear things through our own needs, and the problem within a marriage covenant is I should hear things through my wife's needs. So really, when we look at the need of a husband and a wife, we should cross them right there. That I shouldn't focus on my needs. And this is where we get in trouble. I want, I think, I feel. I want, I think, I feel. I, and this is what happens. We become where we're so isolated on me and me and me and me. When reality, as a man, as a husband, my wife's number one need is security. I should supply security. I ought to focus on security. Number two is the leadership that I initiated. And number three, she likes conversation. That should be my focus. Now, as a woman... It's not the same. Mark chapter number 6, this is the number one need of a man. And I'm going to spend a little more time. Not that the other two were not something to be talked about. I really ought to go in more depth on those at some other time. But the number one need of a man is honor. Is honor. Now that word honor there means to esteem and to respect. The Greek word for honor is devalue. It's just to value. 
Now, what I found out with men is we will always gravitate to where we're being honored at. How do you know that? Well, I've seen men who begin to spend excessive time at the golf course. You know why? Because other men look and say, great shot, Bob. That's the longest ball I've ever seen hit. What happens? They begin to gravitate toward honor. Why do you think men love to go hunting? And did you see the way he shot? He killed 12 pigeon, clay pigeons. In a, I've never seen anyone shoot that way. And I've seen men begin to gravitate to work where they work overtime and work overtime and work. You know why a lot of times? Not all the time, but a lot of times is because they're being honored there. I also saw a guy one day who began to go drink a coffee at Starbucks. And he liked coffee. But the real draw became that he began to get honored by a young female waitress. And it pulled on him. And it pulled on him. Men gravitate toward honor. Now listen to this passage here and you're going to learn something today. Let this get on the inside of you. Mark 6 verse 1. Then Jesus went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and men in hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now, it's easy for us to become offended at other people. The problem with offenses is it specifically means they become a stumbling block to me. Matthew eleven six 6 says, Blessed are those who aren't offended. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're walking in offense, whether it's in your marriage or to weird other people, you've got to get rid of that junk, guys. Offense is an inward poison. It'll kill you. It will literally cause you to rot. Now, that's not what I'm talking about here, but some of you must understand. If you're holding offense, especially in a marriage covenant today, man, get rid of that junk. You've heard me say this many times. My greatest prayer, one of them, i got a lot of great prayers, but is this, that I forgive quickly and I'm not easily offended. And I say that all the time. Lord, help me to forgive quickly and not be easily offended. Keep reading with me. Verse 4. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and is in his own house. Now I've read this passage numerous, 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 numerous times in my life. And most of the times I start trying to get to verse 5 and verse 6. But if you'll notice there, it said a prophet was not without honor except in his, his own country, among his own relatives. And look real close at that last one. In his own house. In his own house. When I withhold honor that's supposed to be due to a person, I'm going to tell you, it releases something within me that I, I shouldn't want. I shouldn't seek those things. Something happens when I live in honor. Now look what it goes on to say here in verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Now if you'll look there, it didn't say that Jesus wouldn't. It said that he couldn't. 
There's a huge difference between wouldn't. You know what wouldn't means? Wouldn't means he didn't want to. Couldn't means that something was hindering him. And so he couldn't. And I look at this and I think, wait a minute, wait. He's the son of God. He can do whatever he wants. Not so. Not evidently so, guys. Look what happens in verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now what we got to do here is go backwards in all this and think about this. He says here he marveled at their lack of faith. What did the lack of faith mean here? It was centered around a lack of honor. And so because these people did not honor him, it hindered Jesus from fulfilling his mission right here on earth. So I think about this. In the role of a husband, when he's not honored, is that hindering him being able to fulfill the mission that God called him to to walk in? I believe so. Now think about this. Remember the word submission. It's to come under his mission. Now remember guys, if I don't honor him, it hinders him from fulfilling that mission in his life. And what I begin to see over and over here is when we don't honor. In other words, when we quit honoring what God says to honor, it releases an inward poison and it releases an anger. What's that the result of? I believe this, when we withhold honor from people where we're supposed to give it, it's a boomerang effect. And the very thing we withheld for them comes back right at us. And it becomes self-inflicted. And if you've battled anger, and you've battled just yucking, you probably ought to go back and look. Have I withheld honor? Whether that's to other people, whether that's to my parents, But we're talking about today in a marriage covenant. And so with I withhold honor, guys, it's going to cause problems. There's going to be some yuck. Now here's you a good one, ladies. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. And in my own life, as a man, when I'm spoken to out of honor, I don't hear. Let me rephrase that. When I'm spoken to out of honor, I won't hear. It's a this, my ears go closed, just like that. I will not hear, even if my wife is right. I'm going to really hit home with you. How many of you have ever been driving around a large city? Let's just say you're in the the heat of battle in Dallas at 5 o'clock. Traffic is a royal mess And everyone in your car, including you, knows you're lost. Have you been there? I've been there. And all of a sudden, someone says, you're lost. You don't know where you're going. Why don't you pull over and get directions? Call Larry. He knows where to go. Now, what does the man do? He's driving. He keeps driving. He is now on a mission to prove you wrong. Sounds like you've been there, Pastor. I have. Numerous times. 
when spoken to out of honor. And let me just say this to you, ladies. Just as it's very difficult for a woman to function in an atmosphere of insecurity, it's very difficult for a man to function in an atmosphere of dishonor. Psalms 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. One translation says God inhabits the honor of his people. You know what that tells me? That God, Father God himself, he shows up where he's honored. If he's honored in your individual life by the way you praise him, the way you say, thank you, Father God, I'm going to tell you, he's going to show up. And I look at that and I think, is that why we have so few manifestations of the things of God in church? Is because when we come in here, we dishonor him? How do we dishonor God in church, Pastor? This is how you look and praise and worship. I can't wait till they shut up. The ball game starts in 33 minutes. I wish you'd shut up. I'm going to tell you guys, we've got to get back to honoring even God right here in the church. That's why it's so important when we come in and say, you know what, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to shift my mindset. I'm on honoring you today, Father God. Now, how does that coincide with men? In, in Genesis 1, it says that men are created in the image of God. So you know what that tells me? Man lives where he's honored. And one woman said, well, I've been married to him 15 years. And I don't praise him. And I don't honor him. And he still lives here. He doesn't live there. He sleeps there. And there's a huge difference. A huge difference. Now go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let the word of God help us here today. If you can't say amen, say oh me. 1 Peter 3. Now as we're going there, you find in life that women are more feminine and men are more masculine. At least we should hope so. That was the structure. And so just as a woman, my wife, for instance, is very feminine, she's very sensitive to the physical stuff. And what I mean by that is Shelly doesn't take a lot of fun in me punching her. It's a tip for some of you young men. Ladies don't like when you punch on them, okay? Come on, honey, let me hit you right in the stomach. Now, Shelly, when we get home this afternoon, me and you, we're going to go out back and we're going to wrestle. Some of you guys would like to see that, wouldn't you? Submit, dear. Uh, go around. Tap out, dear. Tap out. But see, that's the feminine side of her. And just if she's sensitive to the physical, as a man, I'm, I'm sensitive emotionally. And as a man, when you tell everybody of all my faults, it's tough on me. And when you cut me down, it shuts me down. Just as we, we get the picture of me punching Shelly in the stomach, that's how it is to a man when he is put down over and over and over and over again. And some of you ladies say, 
Yeah, but his friends do that to him all the time. He's not married to his friends. And he doesn't sleep with those yahoos either. It's different. 1 Peter 3, verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women, and let's see what the characteristics of a holy woman is. Number one, who trusted in God, and they also adorned themselves. And I don't believe the adornment here he was talking about was silver and gold and pearls, but look at the adornment he was talking about. Being submissive to their own husbands. Now, he tells me two things here for a woman, that if they'll, if they'll trust God, if they'll love God, and they'll submit to their own husbands. And so in the spirit realm, I think that a submissive woman, it's like God puts uh, gold and rubies and pearls on her. I believe in heaven there's going to be women walking around that are adorned in greatness because they were Proverbs 31 women. What does that say? Go read it. Start in verse 10. Now get this. Verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now if you don't know what this is talking about, Sarah is Abraham's wife. And right here, out of honor, she calls him Lord. So pastor, are you insinuating that we should be calling our husbands Lord? No, it's just a form of honor here. And you know what many would say right here? Well, if I was married to a great man of honor, like Abraham, I would call him Lord. But I'm married to Ken Richburg. Sorry, Ken. That's what you get for Okay. And he's about to drive me crazy. You're drought to drive me off the deep end. See, this is what happens right here when we withhold honor. Now, you want to see a covenant blessing that's incredible right here? Look at verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding. Be considerate. Listen. Husbands, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel physically and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now, you know what this is telling me? That when we begin to walk in honor as husbands and wives, you're talking about a blessing of unity that comes in there? He said right here that your prayers not be hindered. So you know what this tells me? Is when there's a lack of honor within the home, your prayers are being hindered. How many of you feel like every time you pray, it's like my prayers go off that wall and they bounce right back at me? You know what this could mean? You have no honor in your home. So once again right here, you know what the scripture shows me? That when I honor what God says to honor, there's a blessing. But when I don't, there's dishonor. Now I believe this, the greatest form of prayer is the prayer of agreement. That's Matthew 18. That Jesus himself said, if two of you agree on earth, as touching anything. The strongest prayer of agreement, you know who is between? Husband and wife. It's when Raul and Monica are in total agreement. And when they begin to pray, you know what happens? Things happen. Things happen. 
This is why I believe, guys, God's wanting to restructure our homes, our families, our marriages, and say, come on, guys, come back into unity. I got one more scripture. Can you handle just one more? Just go to your right, just a little bit. And we're going to go to 2 John. 2 John is only one chapter. You're going to go through Peter, 1 John, 2 John. And once we get here, right here to 2 John, now this is going to be good right here. Verse number 8. 2 John, verse 8. Look to yourselves. You know why that tells us that? It's because the only one I'm responsible for is me. I get in trouble when I use the Adam syndrome. You know what the Adam syndrome is? God, it's that woman you gave me. It's that woman. So life would be wonderful if it wasn't for that woman. And see, you, sound, you see how selfish that sounds. That lack of responsibility. This is what I want each one of us to get today. Look to yourself. Look in the mirror at me. That we do not lose the things we work for. That we do not throw them away. What's that? But that we may receive the full reward. Now he wouldn't use the word full reward if there wasn't different levels of reward. You know what that tells me? When I don't look to myself, I begin to look, lose rewards. And even in the marriage covenant, I'm losing the reward that God said, I'm going to bless you. Your life is going to be blessed. It's going to be a becoming one. So here's the question today. Are you living in 10% of that reward? 20%? 80%? I don't know about you. I want to live in the full reward. I want to be blessed. I, I want my marriage to be blessed. But you know what that means? We both got a part. We both got a part. Now I believe this pertains to every one of us in this room. I'm going to tell you what, if you're single, single men, you need to get a hold of this. How to love a lady. And you single ladies, I'm going to tell you right now, I was in a restaurant one day. I heard this lady just lambast her husband. She was going at him, just tearing him up. And she was so proud for like, I showed him. And Shelly looked over at me and she said, she doesn't understand men at all, does she? And I said, nope, nope. Is that to say I'm a male shuffle? Look, no, that's not saying that. It's just showing that, guys, we've got to begin to understand this is what makes my wife tick, and this is what ticks her off. And if you guys hadn't figured this out, it's a lot better to stay away from those things that tick her off. How do you know that? 31 years of marriage. I've choked before. Stand up with me. Stand up. Ooh, we got to get the word of God.